I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello again, welcome back. Last week we were at the Tank Museum. If you haven't caught our Fury Experience episode, please go and catch up on that because it was great fun. We want to thank the Tank Museum again for the opportunity this week. We're back with the Patreon pick. Now, if you're new around here or if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, the Patreon pick is a movie every month that our Patreon supporters, God love them, they get to pick. And we present four movies for their voting choices. And this week they picked The 800, which is a Chinese movie that came out in 2020. And we're really excited to be talking about it. They never disappoint us, do they, Matt? Nope. It was a great pick. Um, Really solid choices in there. Some good options, I should say. But this one's a really interesting movie. 2020, as you said, and I think it's still, as of now, like the 12th highest grossing Chinese film of all time. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's some great little facts behind the movie. Do you want to give us a little bit of, of plot before we go into the uh, the cast and production? So it's set during the Battle of Shanghai, and it's the uh, Japanese invasion of China. The war is not going well for nationalist China. The defence of Shanghai is pretty much collapsed at this point, and we're down to just one reinforced warehouse um, on the edge of the uh, the international settlement um, on the banks of a canal. And the film follows the 800. Well, well, we'll come more to that later on, but there weren't quite 800 in there. No. Um, but it, it's centred around a um, an iconic battle that became part of Chinese popular consciousness. And it's one of those battles that have gone down in history as... Um, you know, famous last stand. The defenders of the warehouse hold off uh, numerous assaults from from Japanese uh, infantry and Marines. The film tries to tell that tale in quite a grand scale. Uh, mm. it, it's it's an elaborately made film. It's going to be an interesting one to talk about because obviously it's a Chinese film made recently, so there's definitely an element of propaganda, and that's always something you've got to keep in mind. Even with Western movies, you've got to keep in mind who's making them and why they're being made. Um, that's half the interest with these films it's obviously there's going to be a propaganda element to this and also it's a retelling of actual historical events so it's a little bit difficult to know exactly what is correct and what is historically inaccurate because there are numerous things that even rob and i with our really fairly limited um knowledge of the battle know from our research around the episode to be um either uh, exaggerated or just incorrect and we'll come on to that more as we as we go along when it comes up. Um, but this week I'm on production. Uh, so it was directed uh, by the Chinese director Guan Hu. And he's also directed the popular Chinese film Mr. Six. I think it was his big breakout production that he, he made. And he also directed uh, The Sacrifice, which was a Korean War film as well. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that one came out in 2020 as well. Um, There's a couple of the cast that, that were in that too. Yeah, yeah. It was part, I think it's an anthology. It's like three movies about China's They do a lot of those. The Chinese movie industry does mm. a lot of anthology stuff. Um, yeah, they do. There's there's a few that I noticed that there was actors in the in the actual movie that have been in a number of other different anthologies about, you know, the setting up of the um, the Chinese state and yeah. the birth of the, um, the 
People's Liberation Army, etc. Um, the movie was shot with IMAX cameras, which was a new thing in in China in, in China film production. Apparently, it was the first time they were used on mass um, as a huge set. Apparently, something like one hundred and thirty three thousand square feet set they wow. built from the ground up. They made a one one replica of the Seahang warehouse. Um, and I've seen some on set photos and it's you wouldn't even know that it was a set. It's 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 incredible. Um, the 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 feat uh, of, of engineering that must have gone into that is quite quite something. Uh, 2K of uh, green screen reel was used like a like to uh, set up the, the bombed out town in certain shots wow. and things, which is just astronomical. Um, and there are two other actual previous films about the 800. One called the 800 with the number 800, and one called 800 Heroes in 38. Um, and in 1977, respectively. So this is the third movie in a series of movies about the 800. Oh wow! So it was all, there was a, a film made about them almost as as soon as the battle had ended. Then yeah, but that movie was lost um, for a, quite a while, and it, I think that movie just was really. Well, given all the turmoil afterwards, you can imagine. Yeah, that, of yeah. course. The movie came out in 2020, obviously at the you know the height of the pandemic, um, and uh, it was meant to come out in 2019, but there was some. Something happened behind the scenes. I'm not quite sure what. I couldn't get into the bottom of it, really, but it was put back. It was meant to be released at the Shanghai International Film Festival. They pushed it back once, pushed it back twice for an international release and a national release. But I can't find the reasons why it was a bit of a controversy in China, I Mm. think. But the budget was 550 yuan, um, Chinese currency. We're going to butcher names on this one. I'm really, really sorry. We don't mean to. Um, which was roughly at the time eighty million dollars. When you think about it, that's pretty small compared to say a Hollywood production that would yes create the same sort of scale. That's what Fury was made for. When you think about yeah. it, yeah, yeah, um, and it grossed <laughs> grossed four hundred and eighty four million US dollars, which made it the second highest grossing film of the year. I know the film industry has taken a hit over the last couple of years, but I don't think you would think a, a pre World War Two war movie. <laughs> made in china would have hit the heights it hit it was incredible yeah, that's really interesting and it was only beaten to second spot by another chinese movie that year it, that just that just goes to show the, the the huge growth of the domestic chinese film industry yeah. and and the cinema going audiences and there's, there's a, a real thirst and a, and a hunger for for cinema isn't there there's um, a thing we and forget some... in the west that other cinema it markets yeah, exist true. yeah um and uh, you know obviously I know in the last couple of years, Marvel films have been tinkered with and changed for Chinese release because it's such a big market as well. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's been numerous partnerships with Western studios, with Chinese studios, all sorts yeah. of things are going on. It's a, it's a growing market. And it it's hard for us in the West to, to understand the significance of a film like this, I think. I think so. The, Especially the when it's not your own history. Oh, well, yeah. Well, the Chinese cinema industry and the, and, and the government have a very clear, it, it strikes me from, from a couple of Chinese films I've seen and what I've read about, it strikes me that they have a very clear idea of what they want to portray. They, they've hit numerous anniversaries of things like the formation of the Communist Party, the formation of the, the People's Liberation Army, um, actual battles. So it, it, they're obviously very clued into making these event movies. Mm, I agree. They, they all, I think they're quite good at it as well. It's like how in Russia, they're good at making movies about their own history. You know, us in the West, we're good about making war movies about Omaha Beach. <laughs> it's a sort of the same thing when you think <laughs> about it. You know, it, you know it's a, sort of the same. You think of iconography from the war and warfare. It's their last stand thing. It's like what Zulu is to British audiences in the 60s. You know what I mean? It's like, Yeah, I know what you mean. It's I know reach, you I'm reaching, mm. but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah. So the cinematography was by Cao Yu, who actually worked on the 2009 film uh, A City of Life and Death about the about Nanjing. And I know mm. that movie is really well respected within the genre. I've not seen mm. it personally, but I, everyone who I've talked to who's seen it is like, that is a you know a top quality movie to see. Cinematography is strong in this film, it has to be said. It really, really is. It's really great. It's really interesting. A lot of different shots used. There's a lot of crane work, a lot of drone work. There is, there is. I, I love that establishing shot where it comes out of, there's a little mouse that comes out of a burrow. That's nice, um, yeah. And it pans up over the field and you see the the Chinese infantry walking towards the smoky city of Shanghai in the, in the distance. 
distributed internationally by CMC Picture Holding. Uh, and the review this week that I found is from the BFI. Um, so I'll just read some extracts for you now. Its spirit is resolutely neo-nationalist. The visual style is steroidal, ramped up from the music video aesthetic of Guan's early indie films. Dozens of drone shots, sweeping tracking shots, carefully art-directed vignettes of triumph and defeat, a symbolic white horse gallops through every so often. The shift from curiosity to engaged support on the part of the expatriates and the apolitical Chinese is well enough staged. Despite some dodgy line readings by some of the extras, the cloth-eared subtitles are crammed with anachronistically modern American slang and profanities. Just in the little takes there. That horse does crop up quite a lot, doesn't it? Really yeah. does, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> the review petered out. I don't think he had a real through line in the review, the chap who wrote it, but there were some interesting little tidbits there. And our one word reviews this week, and they're back with a vengeance. We've got two this week. So Stephen O'Neill says excellent, and at PatPills09 says epic. What would yours be? Spectacle would be the word. Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking spectacle too. Mm. Mm. I think it is spectacle over substance. Yeah. Just a little bit. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. So Matt, I think you were going to fill us in on the cast. Apologies ahead of time um, for my terrible Chinese pronunciation. It's quite a, a large cast. And we've got a lot of actors who have been in a lot of Chinese TV, movies. Um, their domestic film and, and TV industry is huge everyone's quite capable and oh yeah it's interesting we get we also get a smattering of um singers so there's there's yes. that continuing trope that we, we've seen since the 50s perhaps even even earlier where films are bringing in named singers and people that people recognize as as actors um you don't see that as often in in western cinema anymore harry styles, so harry styles was in exactly yeah. Yeah. um Sauce. Sorry, it just reminds oh me my of that God. every time <laughs> he mentioned it. It's that delivery, that line is shocking. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Please continue. When we cover Dunkirk, it's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a good one. Special guest, Harry Styles, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we should try. We should we try. If you're listening, go, Harry, yeah. let's do it. Watermelon Sugar um, was a bit of a bop, so yeah. So cast. Uh, we we have uh, Huang Zizhong as Lao Hulu, who was in My War, another Korean movie, uh, Korean War movie, sorry, in 2016. Um, and I'll try and pick out some of the, uh, the, the the war movies that the cast have been in. But um, there's a lot of them have got far too many credits to, to delve into. Yes. Um, uh, then we've got Zhang Junhui, who plays um, Zhao Hubei, who is a, a young... Um, almost student soldier he's there's quite a few young student soldiers pop up in this film mm. um, but he's introduced at the very beginning and he joins the defense oh who uh who plays duan wu uh he's he's one of the um singers uh he was in the founding of an army in 2017 which is one of those films i mentioned that hits an anniversary of the founding of the, the pla and he was also in 2020's battle at lake changjin which is, ah. a, is a uh another movie we'll be covering later this year i think uh, du Chun plays Lieutenant Colonel Zi Jinwan, who is the commander of the battalion uh, of, from the 88th Division. And he's been in lots of military TV shows in China. And he's going to be in the sequel to Battle of Lake Changjin. Um, oh, cool. Which uh, is, I think, in post-production right now. I think it's out this year. Want to look out for um, that Yeah. So, I mean, that was a huge movie. Massive. In 2020. So, yeah. Um, Zhang Sheng uh, plays a company commander. Um, Wang Zhiyuan uh, plays Yang Gui, uh, who has been in lots of TV films um, and the 2014 uh, war movie, The Crossing. Uh, I believe he is the, the country boy sort of character who um, has a very long, in-depth conversation about what it feels like to be with a woman with uh, another one of the characters near the end oh, of the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a very strong character in this. Um, mm. Then we have Jing Wu, who plays uh, Lao Tai. We have Zhang Yi, who plays Lao Song Pan, who I think is um, the, uh, old abacus with the long hair and the spectacles. He was in Operation Red Sea and the uh, television series Soldier Sortie and The Sacrifice, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, Wei Chen uh, played Zhu Shenghong. And he's another um, singer and TV actor. Um, he was in a, in a show 
imaginatively titled Anti-Terrorism Special Forces 3. Sounds great. Um, which sounds like their version of Ultimate Force. It does. Or SEAL it? Team. Um, and he was also in, in The Sacrifice as well in 2020. Then we had uh, Tang Yijin, who uh, played Yang Humin, who was the uh, the young scout girl who swam across the river with the, the flag that's raised. Yeah, she's very important historically, isn't she? She is, yeah. And she, she has a, a, a sort of fleeting reoccurrence throughout the film until her bit comes in. Yeah, I feel like she should have been used way more than she was. I agree. They could have gotten rid of some of the other supernumerary characters, yeah. um, who I'm not even going to touch on. Because... Got rid of those bloody American and French correspondents that add nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The and AFP correspondents who, yeah. who wouldn't have been with AFP because it wasn't formed oh, until like the late 40s. I know. Anyway. Yeah. And then finally, we have uh, Hideo Nakazami, who plays uh, Colonel Kono Izawa, who um, is the, uh, the, the Japanese divisional commander. Um, yeah, I think he's supposed to portray. And he was in 2009's uh, City of Life and Death. Oh, okay, connection there. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so there's a little connection. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, then there were so many other characters in there, but they're the the ones that are the more prominent ones, the mm. ones that actually have some impact on the story. There's lots of people that come in and out. The way the film's shot and 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 edited, I think establishing stories weren't given. Perhaps they were cut. But there's a lot of characters where you get no back backstory to no, and they don't really you especially the, the 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 bystanders on the uh, other side in the international settlement who are watching all of this um there's a there's a lady that runs a club and i think her brother and there's no real setup for them i mean perhaps if perhaps if we were chinese we'd know we'd we'd have yeah. some understanding perhaps i don't they're just know, observers but, aren't they it, it, yeah there's a lot of it's one of my main draws of the movie is that no one is set up enough for me to have mm. any real emotional investment in any of of the people even though what they're doing is so heroic and you know amazing the things they're doing there's a lot of characters that are brought in just to be killed yeah i agree with you there yeah so that there's a, a group of young student boys schoolboys that swim across to join the defense they basically become cannon fodder there's another bit in the in um in a little bit earlier in the film where they're swimming out to try and escape old abacus and uh, i think it's uh Ahuwe's character someone else accompanies them that you don't know who they are but there's a sequence where some japanese soldiers come swimming into the warehouse yeah and they they dive underneath the, the surface and this other chap who you haven't been introduced to is essentially they drown him to keep him quiet yeah, yeah and it's I'm a like... very powerful and affecting scene it is. but it would have been even more strong if we'd known who the guy was and if he was mm. actually a friend of theirs that kind of that's thing. my issue with it, it it's like I just didn't have a much emotional connection to people, which drew me out of certain sequences. I was like, because I'm sure this is really important what's happening right now, mm. but the death of this person is lost on me just because, you know, one, I'm, I don't know the history of it hundred percent. And two, just because the movie hasn't done enough to spotlight the person. That's the only one of the few real drawbacks. I think the movie has. Yeah. Shall we move into the alley tally? Yeah. Some interesting stuff to talk about. Fantastic. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So this week with the Ali Tally, if you're a new listener, by the way, the Ali Tally is where we discuss cool kit, weapons, equipment, anything really that features in the film that stands out and we go, ooh. Uh, and this week there's a number of um, interesting bits of kit uh, Rob's going to talk about some vehicles, but there's some really interesting period weaponry in here. The the 88th Division was uh, a relatively well-equipped division of the, the NRA, the, the Chinese National Army. And they were trained and equipped largely by uh, Germany. So you see the guys with German pattern um, gas masks. You see them with M1938 um, helmets. You see them with uh, Shanghai Shek rifles, which are... They look very much like a K98K, but they're slightly earlier. Pretty much the same sort of, um, the same action, same configuration. They're carbine, and uh, there's quite a few um, Hangyang 88s, which are based on the even earlier German um, Model 1888 commission rifle, which was developed before the First World War. Mm. So there's there's lots of interesting little bits in there. There's loads of Arasakas because surprisingly they get Japanese kit quite 
quite accurate. Yeah, they do quite well, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of the things I really enjoyed seeing was uh, the Japanese troops have uh, Type 11 light machine guns. That was nice. The very early hopper-fed five or six Stripper strip clips in, yeah, and and the gun feeds off them and then spits them out. It's quite the thing. It's nice um, attention to detail with the troops. It is, it is, and there's there's a couple of um, heavier Japanese machine guns in there. But the 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 more interesting are the Chinese Type Twenty Four Maxim, and there's there's a couple of sequences in there. There's one brilliant one where on the roof they're firing air, uh, aircraft that are coming in. And they say that they've run out of water and the barrel's going to burst. And then the barrel bursts. And it, it's a really nice little sequence to illustrate that these guns are water-cooled. And um, there's, a, there's a nice little um, bit in that sequence where the mm. chap picks up a, uh, a Czech um, VZ-26 and, and manages to, to, to shoot one of the aircraft. And there's loads of Czech vz 26s so that's that's the machine gun the bren's based off of isn't it it is yeah the the, the light Mm. machine gun and there's loads of loads of those seen in this there's a a blink and you'll miss it mg0815 yeah i saw that yeah 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 and i think this isn't there a german like 20 millimeter flat cannon yeah yeah i couldn't quite see what that was supposed to be but there is yeah and then one of the characters is seen running around with a mauser c96 carbine not not a broom handled mauser with the stock attached but specific configured the carbine version which is really interesting yeah Yeah. i think it's um it's never used uh it's just sort of slung and and seen Mm. as a as a prop weapon but it's really interesting that it was included i just enjoyed seeing a representation of a of an army that i'm not very familiar with Mm. Um, but obviously researching china in the second world war as well like just the amount of kit they had and who they were being supplied by post pre-war during the war and then a lot of those weapons went on to be used in, in Korea and some of them even yeah. found their way into Vietnam. And, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. It's really quite it? something. You, you, know, you see images of the Chinese army in the war supplied by America and they've all got like Springfields and Brodies. Then you see the, the German equipped ones. It's so confusing when you see pictures from that war because I'm like, would that not have been really confusing on the ground? And, but that's for another day, I guess, that Second World War. But for me this week, I was watching the movie and there's a bit where I sort of went, I scratched my little chin and I was like, hmm, I don't think that's right. Was it a Bedford? <laughs> it been a Bedford. <laughs> that would have been really wrong. But there's a little part where they they bring in the uh, like a water correspondent, a journalist, um, to chat to the Japanese forces. Yeah, and it's hinted he's a spy. Um, yeah, it's like... Well, it's, it's overtly said he's a spy because he gives some information on the, the, the division that's defending the warehouse. He's working both sides, isn't he? He's mm. a bit... Yeah, but um, we're not sure who he's actual who he sides with, but they bring him in on a tracked truck, like a half tracks mm. sort of thing, and it's got like a rounded bonnet, and it it looks really post war Russia. Yeah, it screams Man in the High Castle to me. So if you've ever seen Man in the High Castle, where it's it's like nineteen sixties, if Imperial Japan had been on the winning side of the war, they'd used loads of Cold War kit that looks kind of like it would have grown out of Japanese equipment because it's an alternate universe they can do that whereas yeah. here it's like that that does not look like anything it sticks Japanese out doesn't it? yeah it really sticks out among the really old 30s trucks and yeah um, little tankies as well yeah when they went down a rabbit hole of like I was like, oh hang on did the Japanese have half tracks they did so in the 30s they imported Citroen half tracks hmm. then in 1938 they designed their own which is a type 98 Kohi half track and they were used in the Second World War. Later right. on in the Second World War, they developed their own version of the Hanamag, the tankettes that you mentioned. You see quite a lot of them forming up on the uh, up on the the warehouse in yeah. certain sequences. And there's one that's knocked out at the end. But that is a Type 95 Soki tankette. It's actually an armored car, um, and it can run on tracks or it can run on wheels, so it can run on train tracks. It's quite interesting. Kind of um, handy, yeah. Fun little handy little thing. And they were used in the Second World War as well. They were repurposed by the Chinese when they captured them. Yeah, quite a little cool little thing to find out. Yeah, and as I said, I just like seeing the like a different army represented because I'm not yet as a Westerner, I'm not used to seeing portrayals of the NRA on camera. So that was really interesting. And I China in the Second World War and pre-war is something I do find interesting. And it made me go away and research it more. So I think the movie did its job. That's definitely something we'll talk about later on. But speaking of which, I mean, what about seeing an army that you are familiar with? Oh, the British. 
Yes. Oh my god. They don't they kind of done dirty in this a little bit. The kit isn't bad. Um it's not too bad at Some all. Some of the fattest 1908 pouches you've ever seen. Yes. Well, they had to store all the all the bits and bobs in those because they had no knapsacks or anything. No, nothing um, else. Oh no, they had they had um German um <laughs> German knapsacks on the back. Oh, did they? I missed them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, they also had really janky uh, mocked up SMLEs as well, which were they were painful to look at for anything more than a couple <laughs> of seconds. I was like, geez, if if that mock up could talk, it'd be saying, kill me, <laughs> smell me down. But yeah, I think they were definitely Mausers of some description um, yeah. mocked up. Um, but yeah, I think that rounds us out on the alley tally for this week. And you're the, there's that one line that the British guy speaks where he finally fires around at the Japanese at the end. Oh, yeah. See you in hell. Like it was jarring. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I mean, I've read accounts that said that the British did open fire. Okay. Um, which I don't know. I mean, that that seems like that would, would have been an international incident. That would have sparked But the something. whole ending of that that siege is really quite complicated. And it is. There have been a negotiation about how they would get the troops out and the Japanese had agreed to this. And then apparently they went back on their word and opened fire. So it's a very complicated little um, aspect of it. And I think the film has tried to suggest something happened there with with that one British soldier opening fire. Mm. Um, but he just yeah, didn't it's... have to say that really cringy line, did he? That was no, he that, didn't. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah, even like, if he said like, something piss off, like piss off or something, wasn't it? See you stupid? in hell, piss off or something. Yeah, it was a bit <laughs> a bit ham fisted. Yeah. You know, even if he had said we have to help them somehow to his officer, and then he fired around like that might have done something but it was just a bit yeah. weird the, the issue is that all of the western characters in this aren't don't don't do anything interesting anyway so well that's that's like, yeah that's kind of a a trope within the within the chinese cinema i think of these period historical films in you know the western characters when they do appear aren't can be a little bit caricaturish but and not particularly helpful because i know at that mm. time we didn't want to get involved did we in any wars well, no, in the 30s. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so they don't they do portray the West as like, well, they're not being very helpful. And it's like, well, there's a reason it's very true. Because we're trying to avoid a war in Europe. We don't want to inadvertently start a war in the Far East. It's a catch-22 situation there. But I think maybe we should move on to favorite scenes. Hello there. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So I think my favourite scene this week uh, is the the battle on the second day. I think it represents the film's strongest element. It's the a bit beautifully where they start shot... off in the blimp. Is that the bit, sorry? Yeah, it is, yeah. So right. the, the, the blimp part is interesting because the blimp obviously wasn't really there. No. <laughs> but it's a very... I mean... Yeah, um, sponsored by Goodyear. And, they even um, have a bit where they go look at the look at the Western uh, military representatives up in that blimp, and I'm like, what? My God, it's the Goodyear blimp full of military attaches. Everyone wave. <laughs> there's a little there's a little interior panning sequence with some really janky English dialogue. Oh God, um, yeah. where it shows what appear to be some journalists in the in the, the inside the blimp. It is a bit. But they're like viewing but, binoculars and stuff. It's yeah. A bit old. As a cinematic device, it works. It works quite well. Historically speaking, not correct. But as a humongous target filled with flammable gas. It just doesn't make yeah. sense in a war movie. Like, well, people people were wounded by um stray bullets. Stray bullets and, yeah. and stray fire in the international settlement. So there's yeah. Very good chance that if a blimp had been there, something would have hit it. You know, it's very possible. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, moving on. Sorry, I just had to say that because it was. No, I I agree. The the blimp is completely um, a historical, but a great cinematic device because it begins this whole sequence where the commander of the blimp, the the blimp captain, let's call him, um, was is looking through a pair of binoculars down. It goes that I think he just turns to his first officer and says, "The Japanese are coming," and. Then you see lots of columns of Japanese troops running forward and some tankettes weaving in and out and um, all hell breaks loose. And mm. it begins, the, the as I said, the strongest sequence of the film for me because it it's what the film does best, I think. Um, despite being an epic of two hours 20, I think it's 
strength actually lies in the act, action sequences and the way that the cinematography and the choreography of those sequences uh, comes together to create something quite spectacular. Chaotic, it's frenetic. Uh, the battle scene from the roof, the basement, the main hall, various floors, overhead from the blimp. And as I said, it, it, it's got a nice depth to it as well. So Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the background, things are going on. In the foreground, you've got a character talking like either trying to get someone to take a rifle or move or get down. And then in the background, you've got someone perhaps like crying and looking at a photograph and he accidentally gets shot. Uh, there's, a, there's a really great little bit in the, in the background where there's a, there's a guy clutching a rifle sort of crouched behind a wall and he accidentally shoots another man. It's a lot of blinking, you'll miss it bits, mm. isn't there? It's mm. that, that kind of added depth and realism kind of really adds something to those big sequences yeah. because if they'd just been quite sterile with just people in the background maybe out of focus or just doing nothing of import mm. then the the movement between the characters because that whole sequence is is almost shot like vignettes between yeah, the characters is. that we've been introduced to yeah so you see um uh a couple of the the the, the deserters they're called deserters but they really they they were um separated from their unit when they were attacked um you see them trying to move around and there's there's a little sequence on the roof um where the youngest soldier uh is is ordered to go and man a wall and then there's other bits where um the old abacus tries to help um the the chap with the mustache i've forgotten the character's name because yeah. i don't think his name's actually said on camera i don't um, think so they just call him like the pussy didn't they, they yeah yeah they keep referring to, referring to him as the pussy because he refuses indeed. to fight at the start for whatever yeah, reason. It's intimated just... that he's a veteran and he's seen yeah. a lot. And then even um, when he's done something quite noble, trying to get that guy back out from the fo- mm. from being shot, they still call him like all yeah. the names under the sun. And I'm like, they do. he's been shot through the cheek. Yes. And he's just mugging him off for like no reason. Like, that's really <laughs> cruel. Like he's already been wounded quite severely. Yeah. He's gone. His arc is that he was cowardly and then he was brave. He's done his arc. Stop being mean. I'm like, why are you doing that? It's it's an odd choice. But, but anyway. And then we get all those students I mentioned, which become cannon fodder. And they, they you know, some of them are trying to escape uh, because they've realized that the horror of war and they get shot by machine gun fire looking out of a window. One yeah. lad gets blown up by a hand grenade and you see him literally get blown across the room. Um, the mist and all the blood and there's a there's a fucking horse running through. Um, <laughs> there's a lot going that on. horse gets a lot of screen time for no real reason. It does. Um, yeah, it's just a very well shot sequence and it flows it really nicely. Um, there's there's a sequence where the, they're attacked by um, I think it's tear gas. It's supposed to be some sort of gas, but they definitely didn't use mustard you gas. You get a British officer smelling the air and goes mustard gas, like really yes. like cliched. I like that. Bit. I mean, you could give him some headcanon and be like, he was on the Western Front. Yeah, I think that's um, probably what it's meant to be, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Um, but I think they, I think they actually use tear gas, which is something they use a lot of. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and it's it, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in the background and foreground, and I like that, and I like that you can sit and watch that and appreciate different things going on. It's it's mm. Possibly one of the strengths of the film there is that it doesn't have a lead character that you're following, that you're anchored to permanently. Okay, and you can, can see, see lots that. of yeah. lots of little things that are going on. 
elsewhere in the film, that's a detriment, though, I think. Mm. I think so. Because for every choreographed fight scene you get, every in battle sequence, you get rather bland. No, not bland's not the right word. And I don't even want to say needless because they sort of work as well, but they're not as strong to watch yeah. Yeah. Um, of people going about their daily lives in Shanghai in the international settlement that somehow mm. is like impervious to bullets and impervious to the war, which is yeah, a bit I think odd. the grand total of like three civilians get shot by that yeah. plane that strikes. I'm like, I don't think people on the other side were having the sort of raucous party that the movie sort of shows it to be, ha- to be having. Which is about, well, the thing, the thing is there. So um, I'll mention this now. Um, none of that is accurate. Right. Because it didn't that, feel it. No. Well, none of it's accurate because what was actually on that bank of the river opposite the warehouse was a timber yard. Okay. So there was no nightlife. There was no neon. There was no. Um, yeah. I'm sure there were there were reporters and people that crowded the the, the canal side, yeah, riverside to, to watch, but that there wasn't all of that. Um nightlife and 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 no. built up well, area stock and... footage like i watched some stock yeah. footage earlier of it there's people like watching the battle happening but i thought it was just really jarring to me it was like i just don't believe that people are carrying on like everything's normal on the other side of a river like you know like it's brighton promenade <laughs> like blackpool i, I mean i think there's an element um uh, probably an element of that that people were getting on with Perhaps. their lives while that's the surreal nature of the battle yeah. i think of course yes but i but, just mm. I can understand the niggle, definitely. And I think the the film takes that surreal nature and pushes it to, like... Of course. And I know it's, it's all for, like, iconography. It's all for um, showing the, the troops in the warehouse longing for something they can't have, you know, looking at... It's all heaven. The... They talk they talk about over yeah. there is heaven and over yeah, here is hell. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's all that sort of... It's the contrast. You know, you see that beautiful establishing shot of the bombed-out city... And the colourful, vibrant city behind it. I can yeah. get what they're going for. I know what they're trying to it's say. It's not to say that that colourful, vibrant city didn't exist in, in Shanghai. Of course not. Because it did. But it was elsewhere. It was a little bit further mm. away. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. directly opposite the warehouse. So the recreation of Shanghai, while it looks beautiful, and it's really well done with CGI and yeah. obviously incorporates the, um, the one-to-one scale warehouse model that you mentioned, Rob. It's not entirely accurate. So... The bridge is in the right spot. There's a gas container, which is in the right spot. And there's two buildings on the other bank are in the right spot. But yeah. their orientation of everything else doesn't quite fit into what no. the reality of it was. From looking at the maps. But as we say, I it's went down a rabbit hole again. and looked at yeah. some maps. Yeah, of course. And it, but, yeah. But it's that whole thing of spectacle again. And it works from a film point of view where it's like one half is the half you want to be on. One half is the half you definitely Absolutely. Don't and that's the point on. of it, isn't it? And yeah that does work really, really well. And it, but it, as, as I said, it does take that surreal nature of people getting on with their daily lives and not being able to really help yeah, and pushes it to, you know, 9,000. Mm. It's, it's just, it's interesting. And I think it's another one of those visual choices that the film makes a lot of. It does. It does. It knows it, the, the filmmaker has a very strong vision. But my favorite scene this, this week is another one of those fight sequences, battle sequences. Um, but it's the only time in the movie where I felt, more of an emotional connection not not to say it was that strong but it was stronger than some parts just because of the action that, yeah. that happened perhaps that comes from not expecting it yes i think that's what it was mm. so um there's a sequence in the movie where the japanese are trying to blow up the side of the the building of the warehouse to get in um, which did them, happen which did happen yes it did um and they come in sort of like a Oh, what's what the, like the shield tortoise shield thing? The Romans yeah, like a do? Roman testudo. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. So they've got that. I don't think the Jap- Japanese did that during the battle. I couldn't. I find couldn't. Any... I didn't read any accounts of it that said that they mm. did that and did that with like three separate columns. Yeah, I, couldn't I thought find... it was. Thought it was really interesting. That the precursor to that scene was them getting ready, and there was guys like lifting barrels to get ready and yeah. exercise, and then there was some guys like welding up. It was good. Um, bits of everything, iron. everything is established in the movie. They don't doesn't just just appear, which is quite nice. Uh, yeah. At least they yeah. set it up. Because um, if it come out of nowhere, it looked a bit odd. Um, so they're trying to dig in, and there's sappers that mark a little thing of chalk on the wall, and they're digging and trying to get in. <laughs> was it, was the the chalk on the wall really necessary? No, <laughs> but it looked. Good, and he writes. It? He, I, I'm, I swear to God, he writes like hack here 
Because <laughs> he, he, he yeah. circles it, puts an X on it, and then he actually writes something next to it with an arrow. Yeah, maybe it's like maybe put like two. I mean, maybe for them it was like two satchels of explosives, but the other guys it was one. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I just know. seemed a bit unlikely. I think they were, he would have just gone, yeah, pickaxes there, lads. Put the, Come on. Put the explosive here, boys. Um, <laughs> so as this is going on, you've got the defenders in the above them um, mm. using a mirror to look um, look down on them. Reminded me of that scene in Saber Private Ryan where Tom Hanks puts the mirror on his bayonet and has a look oh, yeah. over the bunker. Reminded me of that. Um, if that was a callback, it was it was quite a good one. Um, and then there's a uh, they're going oh, and they, our, our bullets is pinging off their shields and our weapons the are useless against them. Yeah. Grenades aren't doing anything against them, um, which and it's all seems a bit lost. And if the you know if they blow up that gas tank or blow up the side of the the wall, all it's going to come crashing down and kill them all. So uh, a, a brave young soldier decides to. Uh, he bundles up a load of grenades, puts them around his shoulders, pulls the pins, jumps down, sacrifices himself, blows up the, the column of IGA engineers and saves the day. That guy, um, Chen Sheng, from what I can gather, it was a real person who did that. Yeah. And that's based in fact. Um, I couldn't find much on him. I found it hard to research this battle in any great depth. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of English sources on. No, on, um, that's the one. That's on some of these battles, that's for sure. Mm. But then after that, all the goodwill that scene built up for me as a film viewer, I was like, "Wow, that is that's brave in doing that." You know, is in, in anyone's book, it's very, very brave. Um, mm-hmm. But then they have a line of chaps that do it straight yeah. after, yeah. and they call out their names, and they can hear the names over the over the river, and it's yeah. all very like, for me, if I was Chinese. And that's my history. I'm going to think, oh, okay, these lads were so brave. It's all these young boys who sacrificed themselves so we could be here today. But then watching it back, it's a little bit ham-fisted. It's a little bit too much. It, it, it's exaggerating the real history. There's about 20 guys there. Yeah, a lot of people there's no, do it. There's, there's no history that I could see or... I couldn't find um, ...record of, of that many of them doing that. Yeah, so for and all the goodwill it built... How many test studios were there? I, were there even testudos anyway? Exactly. I don't know. I, I know there was a, a sapper team that tried to blow the wall because yeah, there was. Yeah, that's in the history of the battle. Yeah, the warehouse was a warehouse for um, a couple of banks in Shanghai, mm. so it was a reinforced warehouse. So it was quite. It was an ideal defensive position because the walls are supposed to be about a meter thick. You would have to get up close and, and plant charges and that sort of thing. Yeah, I just think that undermines it and. It's it's supposed to be a very powerful emotional um, moment where the, there's a there's a lady that that's supposed to be a, I think an actress or singer yeah. or a dancer or some such uh, in one of the clubs across the river and she's being filmed by a journalist and she says don't film me and she, a, a tear runs down her cheek yeah it really upsets her yeah yeah and but then I, but then about when the other ten lads do it for me it loses the weight of that sequence. Yeah, that's it, the issue for me. There, that that's if, my if there was historical the fact behind that, I think that'd be a really powerful sequence. But having tried to check on it at least, and and not being able to find any concrete confirmation that there were that many that did it. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. But as 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 a sequence, I thought it was really well done. It's it, it as you said, it's the movie strength is in those sequences. There's lads just running around with ammunition and there's lads running around with machine guns, re- repositioning them, everything like that. It's what you want to see in a, in yeah. a defensive kind of action like that. It's what we think of. I just Coming wish off the that, film had... Sorry, go on. Coming off that, I really like that some of them had the um, the collars, the felt collars, the machine gun companies, That's because they're cool. supposed to be um, members of a machine gun company, which we follow. And they they have the the uh, the felt collars which were there for you know carrying a hot gun, and some of them mm-hmm. are wearing those. As, and I think that one of the the guy that jumps out first Chen. is actually yeah he he takes it off to then put the mm. put the rig around him. Um, and the the Chinese um, army did have like suicide vests as well. I, I did some research on that. Right, um, they did have them. And there's a picture on on the article I was reading. There's a picture of a lad with loads of these grenades hanging off him. So. Right. It's based in fact, I guess. Yeah, um, it yeah. must be. But said it all along, we have issues with the movie. I think we should lean into them in the final thoughts.
my main issue with the movie is that it's not a bad movie. It's quite enjoyable. The cinematography is really, really good. The only places, and, and the spectacle is great, as we've said all the way through, but the thing that it falls down for me, I couldn't get emotionally invested in the characters as much as I wanted to. Mm. Um, as you said, people are bought in and they're killed off in seconds. Abacus is the one that's built up. And I felt for him a lot because he was, um, he just had more to do. Um, and then the, the young lad at the end, I thought he was going to be your main character. And then, oh no, he's not. So yeah. it's sort of, well, I just, there's a number keep, of, it was flitting you around. Do you think there's going to be a main character moment? And um, Huai Bei, he, his character is there throughout the film. Mm. But he's introduced with his uncle. His uncle gets separated. His uncle's That's then it. seen being disemboweled by the Japanese on a rooftop to taunt the defenders. Um, and then he's introduced to Duan Wu, who I think is his brother, because I think it's his brother from another unit. And yeah, it, it gets very confusing. And th there's just elements of it where the NCOs that you're introduced to, they're so fleetingly introduced that you yeah. you recognize that there's individual different people in these scenes. Yeah. But their characters aren't introduced or fleshed out. There's one chap who has a, I think it's a like a ceremonial fan, and he drops it and, and um Wu's character uh, repairs it for him. That's it. And there's there's little little bits like that that perhaps could have been fleshed out or where mm. it were cut. But I completely agree. It would have just been, for me, it, I just felt if you'd have concentrated on a few, because it tried, it did try to do that, but it didn't mm. lean into it enough for me. So I found, and then and then I think the movie dips in the middle massively. It takes a break and it establishes them getting the getting the nationalist flag to, to put up. I know that the Girl Scout actually did go across um, to give them equipment and this flag so they could you know show their defiance to the Japanese. And that's really interesting and great. But before you get to that, there is a massive dip where characters are just talking about what's just happened. You get a lot of what's going on in chat in the international settlement that I just don't think you need um, because the, the Western characters don't add anything. Um, and once you've seen one establishing shot of that lovely lit up bit of city, you've seen it all. Yeah, yeah, that's fair too. And there, yeah, and there were just parts within the actual movie that were just felt overcooked, i.e., you know, the men flinging themselves off the building there's sequences where people have just you know they take one more step to be killed they do one more thing before they're killed it's all very oh look at how bad it was for these people it's really overplayed a bit overacted in certain sequences whereas i felt just nuance might have helped a little bit more in certain parts i was just going to say there's another character that the the, the chap with the flamethrower yes who his character isn't introduced at all but yet he's seen throughout just appearing. And then he's in that end sequence where it looks like they're going to have a, a last stand and they've various people volunteer. So the, the, the veteran that they all refer to as pussy uh, volunteers, um, um, uh, Yang Guai, uh, the, uh, the farmer, mm -hmm. he, he volunteers. He, he's the one that's always calling um, the chap pussy. Um, and then yeah. you have, uh, then you have, uh, the guy with the flamethrower who volunteers and he's sat there sort of nursing the flamethrower and he's introduced and he gets a little sequence where he, he, he um, douses a ladder with a flamethrower. Yeah. Um, but his character isn't really developed or introduced or, no. or used in any other way. See that that's, that's what annoys me, but then nevertheless, the movie is redeemed by these really well choreographed and well shot mm. like action sequences so I don't know where I fall. I kind of don't hate it, but I don't love it. But then again, I don't know if I would recommend it. I'm 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 torn this week. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I think it's it's an interesting film. It's it's a last stand movie, and we always love those. Matt's favorite subgenre. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I know. I know. It's interesting because you've got that beautiful bright center of the international settlement opposite, but it's not historically accurate. It wasn't there. Mm. It wasn't visible. Um, it's just a visual device for the, for the filmmaker and it reinforces that the West aren't doing anything to help us element, I think, rather interestingly. Similarly, there's elements of, of the, the, the filmmaker's choices that are just, we've already you know 
talked about in depth about the, the suicide vests and, and the chaps jumping from the building. But there's other stuff as well. So, you know, the, the side of the building is daubed by a giant Coca-Cola um, advertisement, which wasn't there. There's period photographs from the siege that show that that wasn't there. The, the film even shows some, some uh, contemporary footage that shows that that wasn't on the wall. Um, it, the inclusion of the, the Goodyear blimp is a bit weird. Um, the symbolic flag raising element of the film is is comes to the heart of why this film's interesting in the respect of who's making it and the audience it's for. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's it's a Kuomintang <clears throat> Kuomintang flag that they're going to raise. They're yep. going to nationalist Chinese flag, and it's it's got the the white sun on it. But the way that they shoot the film, you you never really see that flag fully. No, you don't, do you? No. Purely because it it shares a lot of similarities with Taiwan's flag, Republic of, yep. Republic of China. Yeah, yeah. And that is that is a complete no. So you've got this film. That's, where an, that, that's another reason why the movie was delayed because it had to get through the censors again. Apparently. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. So you you have this film which is being made about one of China's most iconic military struggles, a last stand, um, heroic defense on one hand, but the heroes of that are nationalists. They aren't communists yes. because the civil war hasn't run its course yet. hasn't begun, hasn't run its course. The filmmakers have to balance this with, we can blame the nationalists and the West for allowing Japan to do this to China. And that is the main propaganda thrust of the film. That's what I felt about yeah. it. Yeah. And I think so. And they set the seeds of what was to come later. Sort yeah, of vibe. absolutely. Yeah. And that whole flag raising ceremony, I thought that the, the sequence with uh, the young girl swimming across, bringing it over to them was great. And, and that is historically uh, grounded. Um, as you said, we could have had a lot more of her and a lot less of the other people on the, on the yeah. bank. Because she actually was very important, as I've said. Yeah, she was it's... trying to raise money, trying to raise awareness, trying to get people to, to be invested in the struggle, What they were doing, yeah. Yeah. So the raising of the flag is, is completely overblown as well. So you see all those guys trying to raise up the flag and hold the flag up and not let yeah. the flag fall. Where, and the film isn't even really giving you a full shot of the flag no. at this point. Yeah. So it kind of undermines the don't let the flag fall. You see a lot more red than you do of the blue and the white white sun in, in that mm-hmm. flag. Although I find it quite ironic because they've all got that little star thing on the side of their Stahlhelms. Yes, they do. So yeah. that's like, you can't, you can't block it out of the film as much as you want to. And that's the part that they show when she's folding the flag mm. up. They do so much in certain sequences not to show you anything. Yeah. That could be pro-democratic or pro-nationalist. But then in certain scenes, I just can't help it. So I'm like, what? Yeah. where's the... It must have been really hard to edit the movie. Well, exactly. Like, how you couldn't cut out that bit where she's folding up the flag. Yeah. Because then it's just the girls just going with their flag. Mm. In just a filmmaking, film viewer um, opinion, that flag-raising sequence goes on too long. It's that too bloody. That whole roof's top bit for me was one of the most laborious sequences. Well, from what I've read, the the uh, the the gathering of all the men and and the, and the speech, etc., didn't happen. It was a small small team because they knew they were going to take fire and be attacked. Yeah. Um, and having individual sections run out to lift the flag up again, and it it was just yeah, it didn't really make a lot of sense either militarily or historically or cinematically to me. Um, and that that kind of stops the film dead a little bit for me as well um and then there's that whole sequence with the the journalist comes across with his camera and films some stuff and you get this terribly tropey sequence where it's filmed through the um viewfinder it's 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 the footage he's filming Hmm. um and some chaps playing danny boy in a harmonica somewhere that that bit annoyed me more because i was like there is good there's a decent amount of actual footage yeah. Surely you could have just poised that character as the guy who shot all that stock footage that we see at the end in the credit mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah, because I'm like, there's more than enough footage just to show tracking shots of of the, the thing under under siege. yeah of the rear of the of the warehouse. Yeah, I agree. Well, at, at two hours twenty two, it's getting a little bit 
overblown, I think. I and felt it was a there's there's entire swathes that you could have cut and you could have had a, a really tight, well made film. It would go against the epicness of the whole thing. Yeah, it, it, it would go against epic. that, and it's not within um, the scope of how they wanted to make films. I think. No. One other thing I did think was was quite interesting is the the body count in the film. You see a lot of a lot of Chinese troops die, um, and I don't I don't think the body count the the casualty um, figures on on it were anywhere near what we see. So that sequence on the roof alone, about twenty guys die trying to hold that flag up. Yeah, they drop like flies, don't they? They do, and the, the the sequence at the end where they're crossing the bridge into the international settlement, which did happen. Yes, it's like it's like the first ten minutes of Saving Private Ryan. That, it is a little it, bit. It's carnage. I think there were about I don't know, like fifty casualties on the Chinese side, and they did mm. apparently inflict um, disproportionate casualties on the Japanese when they were attacking. But that's fairly typical for a defensive action. Yeah. Um, yeah, that just jarred me massively, knowing historically that the it wasn't that bloody of a battle. But that's where the mythos of it all comes in. Yeah, and it wouldn't, have been a, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as spectacular if all these guys hadn't died in the struggle. Yeah, but the caveat to that is it's a great end shot of them all trying to come over that little lip of the bridge and yeah. everyone had like with their arms out trying to get them, bring them home. Absolutely. And let's not pretend that Western cinema isn't guilty of that kind of thing as well at times. Of course, and we've all done that. You know, American and British war movies have done that as well. But it just fizzles out for me. The movie just fizzles out. And we don't get any um, closure with any of the characters either. So mm. we know that historically the wounded were left behind and some volunteers to man machine guns to make the Japanese think that the position was still manned. We don't get any closure to the characters that survive thus far which is kind of annoying, but I suppose you get that closure of the men getting across the bridge. The, the, the colonel is badly, badly wounded, mm. and it's, it's very heavily um, hinted that he's mortally wounded, I would say. Um, see a little bit of blood coming out of his mouth, which is uh, film parlance for you're, you're a goner. <laughs> but, yes, it is. Um, but he, he, he was killed a few years later. He was assassinated. Um, because the, the battalion gets interned in uh, in the international settlement for a couple of years. And when the international settlement is finally taken by Japan, they're interned as prisoners. And I think I think they're known in China as the Lost Battalion as well. That's it, yeah. Um, but as a film, really interesting. I think the spectacle of those battle sequences is very hard to um, discount within the, yeah. the wider scope of the film. I think... It's an epic, but it's an epic that could have had some sequences cut and made a little bit tighter. I think it's really quite beautifully shot. I think the cinematography on it is really good. Um, so it was actually my one of my picks, one of my two picks for this month for the for the patrons to to decide on. Matt's been pushing this one for a few months, haven't you, Matt? Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. I I think it, my desire to cover it comes mostly from being impressed by those sequences. When you get into the characters of the film, it's it's quite lacking and it, it, it does sort of lay it down a little bit. Mm. But it's an interesting movie. And I think one of the most important things it does is it makes you go, I had no idea about that battle. I had no idea of where that battle took place within the Japanese invasion of China and yeah. how it fits into the, you know, the history of the region. So we've both gone away and gone, oh, wow, that's interesting. And we've looked it up. Look we've, up. We've gone and yeah. done as much reading as we could, you know, mm. um, with what's out there and such. I just think it's, for everything good, I, it I did, would recommend it. Mm. I know, I know you're on on the. Bank. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. So if you want to, you want to see a different aspect of history covered in a war movie, then this is really a great one. But I just think as a film for me, I just didn't enjoy it as much as I could have. That's subjective, isn't it? Movies are subjective. It is, and it's it's in the eye of the beholder. And objective. It obviously did really well with Chinese audiences. Um, still the 12th highest grossing um, movie in China, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, that's something, isn't it? Cinematically, it has some things going for it, but broadly speaking, it's a it's not as strong of a film as it could have been, but those battle sequences are really something. Well, there you go. That's our verdict on the 800. And thanks yet again to our patrons for picking it. If you've stuck with us this long, next month we are doing an Anzac month. 
So all the movies in April will be Australian or New Zealand flavouring. Things like Danger Close, maybe The Light Horseman, maybe Gallipoli. Who knows? We haven't written the schedule yet. We haven't decided. <laughs> we haven't decided. There's so many. Um, and there are actually. It's, it, there's quite a few for us to choose from. Yeah, and we're waiting on guests and things, so... We shall see. Yeah, don't forget to follow us in all the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, at Fighting On Film, and check out our website, fightingonfilm.com. You can find all of our previous episodes there, and you can find out more about becoming a supporting cast member over on Patreon. Thanks again for listening. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye.